Good morning and welcome to worship at Kern Church. My name is Will. I'm the pastor. It's such a joy to be with you today as we go to God, as we worship God, and as we join with one another. If you're joining us on our live stream, I want to say a special word of welcome. Thank you so much for making Kern Church your uh, church home this morning. I pray that you are blessed as we worship God together. Right now, I want to say a, a word of prayer for you and with you this morning. Blessed and holy God, I thank you this day for your presence in our lives. I pray blessings upon each one who's worshiping today, whether they be online on this rainy, cold Sunday morning or, or whether they've made it into, into your holy space here at Kern Church. I pray that each one is blessed by your Holy Spirit presence and that your Holy Spirit will, fill, will be filled with the joy of your people as they, as we sing praise to you, Almighty God. Amen. This morning I want to share with you something that happened last weekend, and our youth were at resurrection last weekend. If, to me it feels like a month ago, but I think it really was just last weekend. And um, they had a great time. There were about 4,000 other youth from around this area, the southeast Ten or East Tennessee and southwest Virginia area, and they descended upon Pigeon Forge and cabins and 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 um, you know buffets and all the things that four thousand young people descend upon with their with their chaperones and leaders and we had a great group from Kern Church that joined with another church actually in, in Pigeon Fords and I give God thanks for that because it was such an amazing amazing weekend of of worship of growth of connection hearing stories about how our own youth group. Um, were able to connect with one another and connect with God in, in really powerful ways. It's really neat to hear that, that one of our students who's, who's graduating was talking about how, how powerful resurrection was for him and, and how once after graduation, they really wanted to be able to give back and figuring out how to continue to participate in ministry because of what God is doing in their lives. My own son, my own son was uh, so excited. This was his first time there, and he just shared about how amazing everything was to be able to experience God and, and, and the freedom around others his own age. So I give God thanks for this. And I was going to have, Alicia was going to be here this morning, but she had to make a pit stop. Alicia's our youth director. She had to make a pit stop to pick up donuts for uh, somebody's birthday in Sunday school, okay? Uh, so I, you get the B team sharing with you about resurrection. But it was just so neat to hear, to hear how amazing things are. Let me say a prayer. God, I thank You. I thank You for Your presence. I thank You for ministries like Resurrection that, that for years, decades now, have been sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with the young people of our region and how 4,000 people descended upon Pigeon Forge and received a blessing from Your Holy Spirit. I pray especially for our youth ministry here at Kern Church that You will help more and more get connected to the life-changing ministry that happens through relationship with You and through relationship with, with others. As we give to You this day and as we give throughout the week online, I pray that You bless these gifts you use them only for blessing others. Blessing those who have given and blessing those who receive. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. You know, I don't know about you, but I don't have a problem receiving a lot of emails. Each day I receive countless and countless emails. One of my email accounts has been open for, gosh, uh, 15, 20 years 
well, maybe not, but a long time, at least 15 years. And, um, and, and so everything that has been, I've ever signed up for over these past 20, 15 years continues to send me things. And, and when the companies that have folded that I signed up for years ago have sold my email address, because, you know, that's how this works, they've continued to get new things that I don't even remember signing up for. Sometimes I get the, you know, I get the idea that it's time to clean this up and I'll unsubscribe and try to block email lists. But, but uh, there's some that just keep getting through regardless, especially those ones that tell me about these, you know, millions of dollar prizes that I win, you know, from a birthright or something from a, you know, a prince in Nigeria. I know you don't receive these, um, but as a pastor, especially, dear blessed brother in the name of Jesus, you know, how amazing we want to give you so much money so that you can X, Y, Z. But some of the ones that really touch me are the advertisements that I get Every single day. See if this sounds familiar. Last chance, right? Last chance. 50% off spatulas ends today. Grab a thermo drop for 30% off. Or Sweet Deals Chattanooga. Um, get, get a Valentine's Day special. $59.99 for 24 long stem roses. A Publix weekly update. Get $5 off in this weekly's update. Like to save? We have a perk for you. Or Harry and David, entertaining has never been easier. Host winter gatherings and complete with delectable food. And then Duluth Trading, double, double favorite flannels, $25 plus 25% off everything, even already reduced clearance. I mean, how could you not save money by clicking on the links? They tell you how much money you can save and how amazing it will be when you save money. And that's just by opening my phone or my email account on the first page. If I even scroll to, to yesterday or the day before, I've got the same number of last chance emails about how this is really the last chance. And if you don't pay attention, it really, really is the last chance. And I thought, you know, some of these uh, email uh, listservs I've signed up for, these are brands that I thought it was reasonable for me to, to get alerts from because I, I have, these are companies that, that, that I want to know their sales so that I can, you know, buy gifts or buy stuff for myself when I need them. Mostly, these sales don't entice me to buy things unless, uh, unless, of course, that it's something that I've already been wanting or something that I've been thinking about purchasing or unless there's like this specific grocery sale that is just too good to pass up and I, you know, I can find a way to, to store meat in that case. But still, but still, these emails, these are my emails each and every day. Each and every day, the advertising beckons me and tells me to, to, to spend more, to, to do just a little bit more, to, to save money, to be fulfilled, to have these things. And, 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 and often, these, these, are, these are often sales, of course, and so you can get a good deal, and, or supposedly a good deal, and so they just say, buy just a little bit more. In our culture today, you are constantly bombarded with these messages. Even if you don't know it, you are constantly bombarded with these messages of telling you that you need more, of telling you that you need newer or shinier or better or just something different. So much of our economy is built on this idea that, that people need to buy 
things. I love the insight that was given into the world of advertising from the AMC TV show Mad Men that was several years ago. There was a specific line from the program that just sticks out in my head and and comes up every time I think about the messaging that that people are trying to to put in my brain about things that I want. One of the main characters, Don Draper, said at one time in the show that people tell you who they are. People tell you who they are, but we ignore it because we want them to be who we want them to be. People tell you who they are, but we ignore it and we tell you what we want you to be and that's the goal of advertising. Steve Jobs said something like that in real life. This sounds so arrogant, but it works. But it works. It's this presumption of consumption. We, 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 can, tell, we can tell you what you need to be happy. We can tell you what you need to be successful. We can tell you what you need to be fit, to be admired. We can tell you what you need to be productive. Listen, listen to us. We have the answers to all your problems that you never had. I mean, this is why I carry around a phone that when it was new cost probably around $1,000, right? You know, it, it is something that I needed at a particular time. There is so much messaging around the things that you need, or the things that you should have, or the things that you just get trapped into. On the good side, you know, some might call this the American dream to be able to have more, to be successful. But the underside of this is this entrapment to, to advertising consumerism that is always, always attacking you. And I have to say that, that those that are in the process of selling their brands and selling things, I, I don't think that, that they're trying to really attack you. They're just trying to be successful in their own things. But, but when you get multiples of these messages each and every day, they can attack you. It tells you that you are less than, that you need more of, and that there seems to be nothing that you can do to get out of this because you have to purchase things for yourself and your family. You have to participate by buying certain things, and so you get these messages. And it's always, it's almost always a trap because there are people that are smarter than you. There are people that are smarter than me that designed the stores and designed the advertising to get you over and over again to part with the money that you have earned. The image that comes to my mind about this allure of consumerism, it comes from ancient literature. It comes from the idea, the story behind the island of the lotus eaters from Homer's Odyssey. I don't know if you know this story, but of course Homer's Odyssey is thousands of years old. Um, and, and Odysseus is the main figure, and he's sailing home, trying to get home, but it just doesn't happen. After time and again, fierce winds at one point push him and his companions to this certain land that's known as the land of the lotus eaters. And the people that live on the land and live in uh, the people of the lotus eaters, they live on food that comes from a flower. We're told that that's really all that they eat. Here's what happens that Homer tells us happens in this time. When they had eaten, so the sailors, the ship kind of ran ashore, and um, after they, they ate and drank and kind of recuperated, uh, Odysseus sent out, uh, sent out a company to see what manner of people lived in the place. So they, he sent out an expeditionary force of 
two or three guys to go see what kind of people lived in this land in which they had, had um, didn't wreck on it, but had run aground. And, and once they started at once and went out among the lotus eaters who did not hurt them, but gave them to eat of the lotus, which was so delicious that those who ate it left off caring, caring about home. Those who were given this gift of eating this precious lotus food left off caring about anything else. They, they, they did not even want to go back and say what had happened to them, but were staying and munching the lotus with the lotus eaters without thinking further of their return. They're captured by the, by the allure of, of receiving and of, of getting something that completely makes them forget what, what life is like. In fact, Odysseus has to go out and get them and like pull them away and strap them down to the so that they don't run off for more and more of this thing. Odysseus's men didn't know that they needed or even wanted the lotus flowers, right? But as soon as they ate them, they forgot about everything else and had to have more. They forgot about everything else that really mattered in their life. They were overtaken by the lie of the lotus flower that said that you need me. You need me. And they forgot about everything that was important to them. It's like the eagle song. You know, uh, you, we are programmed to receive, right? You can check out every time, anytime you want, but you can never leave, right? Yeah, you know, this idea that, that in the underbelly, the, the lies that, that are told to you, you just can't leave. If the messages of the lotus eaters, the messages of consumerism were honest, they would, what they would really say is, come, waste your money here. Great money pit opportunity. Give us your money and we will give you something that will break that will not work, that will become obsolete. Give us something, give us your money, and we will give you something that will cost even more to maintain. I mean, this is the message that the world's money tries to tell you. The lie, squander me, waste me, squander me, waste me. And only then, only then can you be happy. Now, this message would be fine, if it weren't a lie and it weren't a trap. Because what happens is that when you worry more, you must maintain more. When you have more, you must worry more and maintain more. There are three real main myths that surround the way that the world's money works and the way consumption tries to trick you and pull you in. The first is that, that having more things will make you happier. That having more things will make you happier. I mean, more will make you happier initially. Just look at any child on Christmas morning. They open up the presents and they have more and, and the, the glee and the light on their face. But what happens at 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon? I'm bored. Give me something to do. It's Christmas tomorrow also. So easily do we forget that in just a short period of time, the the... The, 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 the thing that you was the object of your desire has lost its shine and its draw. The other lie that's told is that having more things will make you more important. Having more will make you more important. Advertising tries to tell you this. But if your worth is bound up in what you possess, 
it will always be temporary. Because it can always be taken away. It can always be destroyed. It can always be obsolete. And then the last one is that having more things will make you more secure. Now this one is a little dangerous because it is true. It is true. This one is partially true. Because up to a certain level, you need a certain level of sustenance to really be able to have security. There's a certain basic level of, of, of finances and certain basic level of necessities in life that you really do need to, to make sure yourself and your family is secure. But however, beyond that, however, the more you have, the more you tend to become more insecure because you have more things to worry about and you have more things to protect. Uh, you know, you, you buy the security cameras to go in front of your house because you have things to protect. You, you buy more locks that are not really any more secure than just closing the door, really, um, but, because anybody can break in them that really wants to. But you buy them, you spend the money because you need to protect, and you buy insurance to protect the things that you have. And the way the protection industry continues because you need to protect more. And this causes worry. Anxiety. I mean, living by the world's money makes you trapped by spending. It, it promises freedom and security, but really what happens is that it ends up trapping you. Uh, I love what Jesus says in John chapter 8, and we sang this, we're going to sing this song at the end of worship today, but it, it's if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. That's what Jesus says in, in the Gospel of John in chapter 8. Verse 36, if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. If freedom comes not in these myths and these lies that, that finances try to teach you, that, that if you have just a little bit more, you thought, you thought that uh, this certain amount was enough, but if you have a little just more, you will be even more secure, but it keeps going and keeps going. Real freedom comes not in the lies and the myths surrounding the world, but real freedom Real freedom comes through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Worry about spending and finances in general have, have been a burden on people of faith for, for generations. While much of our consumer culture is, is new, new to a certain extent, the concerns about money and financial security, these are not new concerns. In fact, Jesus addresses these concerns at length in Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read here. So if you've got a Bible and you want to follow along, I'm going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6 to read what Jesus says about the concerns that, that, money, that money can do. And I think that the words of Jesus here are so so powerful, and I hope that, that as, as I read these words that you can hear them and think about the ways that God really, that, that freedom really does come through Christ Jesus. So Matthew quotes Jesus as saying, Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, or about your body or what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds in the sky. They don't sow seed or harvest grain or gather crops into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than, than they? Who among you, by worrying, could add a single moment to your life? That one cuts deep with me. Who among you, by worrying, could add a single moment to your life? Who among you, by worrying, could add a single moment to the time that you spend with your children, with your grandchildren, with your spouse? Therefore, don't worry and say, what are we going to eat? Or 
What are we going to drink? Or what are we going to wear? Gentiles long for all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Instead, desire first and foremost God's kingdom and God's righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, stop worrying about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Stop worrying about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. How wise, but also sometimes how difficult to live to live these words. Around the world, and some even here, worry and experience the real fears of, am I going to have enough to eat? Am I going to be able to feed my children? Am I going to have the clothes to wear? Will I have a place to keep shelter over myself? There are so many in our own community and around the world who struggle and have real fears and worries on if the basic needs of life will be met. And I want to tell you that these are legitimate worries and there's so much more that we could be doing that you and I, most of us, could be doing to make a difference here. But, but, there are others, perhaps you, who struggle with cultural pressures not on, am I going to have enough, but am I going to have the right clothes to wear? Am I going to have the appropriate thing, the appropriate fancy health food to eat? Am I going to have something that is socially enough? Am I going to have the Instagram gold-colored gold-covered steaks or gold-covered ice cream that I can post and, and show each other how, how, how blessed I am by having eating and ingesting gold? I mean, am I going to be able to keep up with those around me? I would suggest that, that most of you and, and even my, myself struggle not just on the basic level, am I going to, to be able to have a roof over my head next week, but most struggle with these other cultural pressures of, of having the right or having, or having the appropriate thing so that other people will know that I'm important. To be able to live in the freedom of Christ. To be able to live in the security of God, free from worry, you must be intentional about how you spend. You must be intentional about these messages that are trying to be told to you about how you need more and how you deserve more. This is why that, that things like a budget can be so incredibly important. I mean, when you sit down and look at your income and you look at your expenses, you can see objectively what's going on. Maybe your spending is, is in a good place right now, or, or maybe you're living on credit each and every month. It's really hard to know without taking an honest look at your budget of what's coming in and what's going out. And, and this is why that creating a budget is one of the hallmarks of every financial literacy class that I know of. I mean, this will be a part of what, what will happen when you sign up for Financial Peace University. You will take an honest look at, at, at your budget. You will take an honest look at your priorities in life. You will take an honest look about how you can achieve your goals with the cash flow of things that are coming in and things that are going out. Every Financial Peace class and literacy class that I know of has this as a cornerstone. Now, maybe you feel okay where you're, about where, you're, uh, where your financial life is right now, 
And if that's the case, I just want to say thanks be to God. I think you need to say thanks be to God. However, I also want you to know that, 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 that it's important, even if you feel okay about things, to regularly reassess where your priorities are. It's important to regularly reassess where your spending is and where your income comes from. It's important to regularly reassess how you are doing financially. It's important to reassess how and where you are spending on a regular basis. How and where you are giving. How and where you are saving. And, and, and how and where you are earning. Billy Graham, the famous evangelist, is famous for have reportedly of saying, give me five minutes with a person's book and I will tell you where their heart is. Maybe you've heard this before. Give me five minutes with, a, with, a, with somebody's checkbook and, and I will tell you where their heart is. Now, it wouldn't do him very good to look at most people's checkbooks today. I don't know about you. I do not keep a register of checks. I don't even know where checks are most of the time. In fact, really the only checks that I ever write are the checks that I write to the church. I mean, like, I don't write checks. I, I know how to write a check. I'm not that young. But, but like, I, I, don't, I don't keep a checkbook. The bank, you know, has yeah, everything gets posted that evening. I can go and see where the spending is. But, but even though people don't write checks as they used to, when you evaluate where and how you spend your money regularly, it does uncover something about the heart. It does uncover something about what you really value. Now, I've shared with you some of the, the myths of consumerism and the myths that culture tries to, to tell you. So now I want to give you a, a few of the ways that, that you, as a follower of Jesus, can actually, can actually follow the way of Jesus in the, midst, in the midst of this consumerism culture in which you live. Because there's nothing you can do about the culture in which you live. But here are some things that you can do. The first is to resist comparing what you have to what others have. Resist comparing what you have to what others have. I mean, this is about not comparing yourself to others or comparing your possessions to other people's possessions. Instead, this is about comparing yourself only to the heart of God. Comparing your, yourself only to the way that God sees you. The next thing I think that you can do is to rejoice in what you do have. To rejoice in what you do possess. I mean, this is about contentment. Being content with the things that you have. Being content with where you are. Another is, is return the first 10% back to God. Now, we'll talk about giving next week, but, but, but Jesus said it, said it best in what I read just a few moments ago. Instead, desire first and foremost God's kingdom and God's righteousness and all these things will be given back to you as well. It's important to invest. If you're a person of faith, it's important to invest in, in God's kingdom. Re returning 10% of what you earn to God is a great place to start. I don't think that, that the, the biblical tithe, this idea of returning 10%, is the end goal of generosity. I think it's really kind of a first goal when it comes to generosity. This idea that giving a percentage, a, a portion of, of your income to God and growing your giving is a way to keep your heart in line with God. You don't have to know what's, what's going to happen tomorrow. You can't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but God does. God does. And Jesus tells you that God will provide. The next thing is to refocus everything you have to the service of God. 
And for me, this is one of the most eye-opening things because you know, you've heard before perhaps you need to give, you need to give of, your, uh, of your income to God. You need to give 10% to God or, or whatever. And, and some people you know, look at that and, and not really sure what to do there. You know, but the truth is, is that all you have, your money, your possessions, all you have is really a gift from God. All you have is a gift from God. And so it's also important to realize that everything you own should be used for the glory of God. I mean, maybe you can, can, can open your home to, to someone who needs a place to stay for a period of time. That's something that God has blessed you with. Maybe you have a, a space in your home where you can host a, a small group of people growing in their faith. Or maybe you can help transport someone to an important meeting or to church in God's car that you just happened to get to drive and put gas in and pay insurance for. Or, or maybe you have a table that's open for others who might need a place to enjoy a meal tonight. That's one of my favorite examples. We have a giant dining room table. It's really my mom and dad's that, that, that well, it's now ours, but it was my mom and dad's. And it has three, I think, three leaves in it. And it is giant. And, and it has, I think, six chairs. Well, we have added four more chairs to it. Uh, they don't match. But almost like three nights out of the week, every single chair on that table is taken, plus the high chair that goes in. Because like we are sharing what God has given us. And this is just one example. There are so many others. You know, in addition to making a budget, a budget and evaluating your spending, I want to encourage you to make a list of everything you have. Now, this is a good practice for your homeowner's insurance or your renter's insurance. This is to make a list of everything you have or or go around your house and taking video of everything you have. And so in the the event of a fire or a loss that that you are able to to present and and able to, to help handle the insurance. But it's not just something to put in a file or put in a safe. But instead, go over this list. Go over this list. And ask God how God might be able to use what you have for ministry. How God might be able to use what you have for the ministry of blessing others and building people up for the kingdom of God. I mean, maybe if you do this, you'll find things that are worth a lot that you don't need, and so you want to sell them and be able to use that money to, to, help, to help bless other people or to help in ministry. Or maybe you have, have certain things that you know that other people could really use, and, and you could use this to build up God's kingdom. You know, I'll confess, none of this is particularly easy, and some of this can be a bit painful. I don't like the idea of having to create a budget. I, I told you, I'm, I'm, I started taking this financial peace class, and, and, and my first, uh, really the second week of this class was this past week, and I'm supposed to create a budget. I haven't done it, okay? <laughs> I, I haven't sat down and, 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 and done it. Um, I don't want to sit down and do it. Incidentally, I don't know when I'm going to do it, but now that I'm telling you, I guess I have to do it, at least by the time our class starts in just a a few weeks. I don't like this practice. I would much rather just spend and and buy things without having to worry about where I'm spending or how it's working and and then make adjustments on the fly if I'm spending too much money. But, but... Because everything that I have comes from God. If I'm not diligent with God's money, I risk wasting what God has entrusted to me. If I'm not diligent with what God has blessed me with, I I risk wasting it all on things that I don't even remember wasting it 
respond. The freedom comes when, when you do the work and can, you can be intentional about how you spend. Knowing that, that you are using your resources not just for your enjoyment, but, but to help others and to really bless God. I, I want to close today by telling you a story. The past uh, two weeks, I've shared with you some wisdom from the founder of the Methodist movement, a guy by the name of John Wesley, uh, about what he had to say. And one of the famous things that he had to say is that Christians should earn all they can, spend all they can, or save all they can, and give all they can, right? Earn, save, and give. And, and really, this is great wisdom, and, and, and you might be thinking, wow, I really wish my heart was there. But I want you to know that John Wesley did not get there in, in the most pleasant way. In fact, his money and his situation and his relationship with money was not always as, as godly and always as, as wonderful, perhaps, as, as that ideal said. The leaders of the, the money talk, the leaders of the, the, the conference that I went to that a few weeks ago that, that shared about some of this money talk stuff tell about an incident in Wesley's life that I want to share with you. This was early in his life. Um, he, was, he was teaching at Oxford. He wasn't making a lot of money, um, but, but this was early in his career. And so he had a place to live, and he, he was adulting. Right? I mean, perhaps you're familiar with this term. You're adulting. You're buying things that adults buy. You know, you're paying things for the way adults pay for things. And that's what John Wesley is doing. And, and he wanted some decorations for his, for his bachelor pad, basically. And, and this, is, this is the story that we're told. That Wesley had just finished paying for some pictures for his room. So he bought pictures for his room. He had to pay for them. So he's paying for these pictures for his room when one of the chambermaids came to his door. Now, it was a cold winter day, and he noticed that she had nothing to protect her except a thin linen gown. So he sees this young woman coming to his, his door. And I don't know what a chambermaid does, um, but probably taking care of the professors at the school that are in their bachelor pads. And so he reaches into his pocket trying to, to give her some money, and, 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 and as he reaches in there to help her by a coat, he found that he had too little left. There's nothing left in his pocket. Immediately the thought struck him that the Lord was not pleased with the way that he had spent his money. The Lord was not pleased that he had decorated his bachelor pad at the expense of caring for someone in need. And he asked himself, will thy master say, well done, good and faithful steward? Well done, good and faithful steward. Thou hast adorned thy walls with the money which might have screened this poor creature from the cold. You've decorated your walls with the money you could have used to help someone in need. O justice, O mercy, are not these pictures the blood of this poor maid? Ouch, right? I mean, this is really, like, really hard self-realization of, of what he experienced. And Wesley never wanted to feel this way again. So at this point, he, he, just, he had just started out teaching. He, he didn't earn a lot of money, but he had never wanted to feel this way again to where he had bought something to enrich himself, but yet that meant that he couldn't help someone who was really in need. This experience led Wesley to study and, and to teach 
and to teach about the theology of spending, the theology of finances. And, and, and this led to liberation in his life and those that followed his teaching continued to bring freedom and hope to so many others and even continued to bring freedom and hope today. Now, there's more specifics that I could share with you about Wesley's use of money and what he had to teach, but, but, it, but it's really all about the heart. It's really all about the heart. It's really all about freeing your heart from the, the lies of consumerism. It's about the freedom of God when, when your heart is fully connected with God rather than in the constant advertising and, and, and manufacturing of needs that our consumerist culture tells you and feeds you. So keep your heart with God. Keep your heart with God. Desire first and foremost God's kingdom and righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Glory and Amen. Inside your bulletin and on the website at kernchurch.org slash money, there's a, a reflection guide. Each week, I've been giving a, a reflection guide to help you reflect on your heart throughout the week on these principles and these ideas about, about God and the use of money and, and finances. And, and if, you, if you need to, to get this in a digital form, you can scan the QR code, go there. Or if you're, if you're online, you can download it from kernchurch.org slash money. And each day I invite you to look over this spiritual fruit inventory to see you know, how, how does the love of God influence your spending? How does the joy that God wants for you influence your spending? And then on the reverse side of this, or on page two in the digital form, there's a breakthrough prayer about spending. There's a breakthrough prayer that, that I want to invite you to pray each and every day as you reflect on, on the role of your heart and God and the role of money as it relates to your heart. And our church, we, we, we believe that, that God listens to our prayers. We believe that God performs miracles and breakthroughs in our lives. And so this is why I want to invite you to pray this breakthrough prayer. And I want to invite you just to pray with me it now together. If you have, this is on the back of the, the blue sheet that's in the bulletin. Or, um, it's uh, not that prayer. Let us pray. God, release the resurrection power of Your Holy Spirit to break into my life so that I might surrender my finances, my life, and my heart to You. I confess I have bought many things that I should not have purchased. Please forgive me. Show me Your way of living that allows my spending to honor You and other people. Grant me the boldness to follow Jesus who set the ultimate example of the unselfish life Help me to not squander money, but to spend as Jesus might have spent. Intentionally spending to advance your kingdom and share your love with the world around me. Amen. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for, for your heart being connected to God. Amen. In the house of God, there is place for your freedom. And I pray that, that you experience through Christ Jesus the freedom that is indeed yours. May your heart be connected to God and connected to all that God desires for you, the abundance and life that God has for you. Uh, my prayer is that you go from this place with the freedom and power of God and sharing it with all that you encounter. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to reach out to Kern Memorial United Methodist Church or see entire services, you can visit our YouTube channel, Kern Memorial United Methodist Church, and remember to like and subscribe for updates. 
you can also visit us on our Facebook page at Kern Memorial United Methodist Church. Thanks, and have a blessed day.